Father's house, our prayer is that you will be blessed and strengthened by the power of Jesus Christ. We would like to thank you for joining us today as we study God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Justin. Amen. How many is ready for the Word? Amen. Excited to release this word. Um, talking to Pastor yesterday, it asked me to uh, to preach today, and um, just going to release some things that God has, um, I believe, given into my spirit to to release to you guys. If you have your Bibles, open to Colossians chapter three, verses uh, verses seven through seventeen. Colossians 3, 7 through 17. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read out of the King James Version first, and then I'm going to go back over it and read out of the Passion Translation. So I'm going to read it, go over it twice. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. Going to read out of the King James first, and then we're going to go back into the Passion Translation and read it. Amen. If you find that what you stand today in honor of reading the Word, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the, Praise the Lord. Amen. Colossians 3, 7 through 17. So what the word says, it says, In the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them, but now you have put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. That sounds pretty, pretty straightforward, don't it? And have put on the new man, someone say the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, we're all of the same blood, whether you're from Africa, Asia, Australia, Europe, America, North America, South America, Central America, guess what? We're same blood, ain't we? No distinction. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. I want you to notice, notice that phrase. Put on the elect of God, holy and beloved. Just the tenderness, the endearment in this. Uh, he said, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. Mercies, plural. Kindness, humbleness of mind. Meekness, long-suffering, which means patience. Patience sometimes feel like, feels like you suffer long, don't it? Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave them, also do you. And above all these things, put on charity. Someone say charity. Charity, which is agape love, which is the bond of perfection. Bond of perfection. That means the ligament of completeness. That's what that means. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you were called in the body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do, in the word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Now I want to go back over these verses, and I want to read out of the Passion Translation. Amen. So this is what the Word says. Colossians chapter 3, verse 7, it says, That's how you once behaved, characterized by your evil deeds, but now it's time to eliminate them from your lives once and for all. Anger, fits of rage, all forms of hatred, cursing, filthy speech, and lying. Lay aside your old Adam self with its masquerade and disguise. For you've acquired a new creation life, which is continually being renewed in the likeness of the one who created you giving you the full revelation of God. 
In this, cre- in this new creation life, your nationality makes no difference. Or your ethnicity, education, or economic status, they matter nothing. For it is Christ that means everything as he lives in every one of us. Amen. You are always and dearly loved by God, so robe yourself with virtues of God since you've been divinely chosen to be holy. Be merciful as you endeavor to understand others and be compassionate, showing kindness toward all. Be gentle and humble, unoffendable in your patience with others. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith, forgiving one another in the same way you've been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release this same gift of forgiveness to them. For love is supreme and must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. That's good, ain't it? Amen. Let your heart be always guided by the peace of the anointed one who called you to peace as part of this one body and always be thankful. Let the word of Christ live in you richly, flooding you with all wisdom. Apply the scriptures as you teach and instruct one another with the Psalms, with festive praises, with prophetic songs given to you spontaneously by the spirit. So sing to God with all your hearts. Let every activity of your lives and every word that comes from your lips be drenched with the beauty of our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, and bring your constant praise to the God, Father, because of what Christ has done in you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today. God, I thank you for this opportunity, God, to minister to your people, to serve your people, the body. And Father, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. Father, I ask that everything that is said and done in these in this room over these next few moments will be in the honor and glory of your name. God, I pray, speak to our spirits and minister to our hearts, God, what you have for the church today. And Lord, let it not fall on deaf ears, God, but let it be sown in good ground, that we be not hearers only, but doers of the word, that we may apply this word to our hearts, God, and receive it, not offensively, but undefendably, God, that we will receive this word, God, and apply it to our hearts, God, for your word says, those that you love, you rebuke. And God, let us be able to handle the rebukes of your love. Father, we thank you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says amen. Amen. Maybe seated in the presence of the Lord. Today I want to talk about this subject. Now, of course, this title may throw you off a little bit, but I'll explain it in just a few moments. But I want to talk about the subject today of lay your armor down. Lay your armor down. And that sounds almost hypocritically because we know what Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18 says. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the enemy. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. And we can go on with that. And of course, we talk about the armor of light in Romans chapter 13 verse number 12. It talks about the armor of light. Put on the whole armor of light. But I want you to understand something uh, very clearly this morning. That a lot of times you can strive in your flesh and you miss intimate devotion in the presence of the Lord. Amen. And I'll explain that here in just a second. This title does not mean that we don't engage in spiritual warfare. It just means our strategy changes. Can I teach you all a little bit? Is that all right? Your strategy changes. The nearness to God's presence is your warfare. Because Because here's what scripture teaches us. God the Father's bride is the nation of Israel. The bride of Jesus is the church. Amen. So we understand, no, that we are the bride of Christ, the church. 
And so we understand that it's hard to be intimate in the presence of Jesus if you're always fighting the devil that has already been defeated. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant exactly what he said. Amen. It is finished. It is done. It is over. When he went into hell, took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, he he didn't give it back to him and said, well, the church is going to have to fight for this thing. Right? He said, upon this rock, the name of Jesus, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Colossians chapter 2, the Bible says that he spoiled every principality and power and put it to an open and public shame. What's that mean? He's literally stripped every principality of its clothes and humiliated them. When he was stripped of his garment and humiliated on the cross. Come on, somebody. So what that tells me is that when we are covered by the blood of Jesus and we live for him, that all authority has been given to us. He said, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. That whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, whatever you forbid on earth is forbidden in heaven. And whatever you release upon earth is released in heaven. So we understand and know we have this spiritual authority that has been given into our hands. Amen. And we don't have to strive and try to beat up the devil all the time. Because his fate is already sealed. And we are victorious. He said in his word, you are more than conquerors to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an undefeated champion that we submit to and that we serve. Amen. And if we're on his side, then we have nothing to fear. Because his word says, if God be for us, who can stand against us? So what I'm telling you this morning is to lay the armor down because there's something else that you've got to put on as the bride of Christ. Because your nearness to the Lord is your defense. He said, if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we know in Scripture and understand that by drawing near to his presence, he fights for us and defends us. Now, having said that, I understand and know that the spirit of Jezebel, the spirit of Leviathan, and these evil spirits aren't existing in the church today. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There are evil spirits in operation fighting. And, 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 and let, me, let me say it like this. The only authority the enemy has is what the church gives to him. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27, neither give place to the devil. The only way these spirits can have operation in your home is if you give them access. This only way spirit of perversion can have access into your home is through your computer, through your television, through, through not covering your eyes and, and, and not dressing immodestly. Do you, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Do I have two or three people with me in the room? You open these spirits up in your life and you give them access and they take, and they, then they form strongholds. But you as sons and daughters of the Father, and you as the bride of Christ, as the church, understand and know that you have all authority and the enemy does not have any room unless you say, unless you open the door for him and welcome him as a gentleman and say, come on in. Yeah. Amen. See, the enemy, the devil does not work like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never force himself on anybody. He is a gentleman. Right? But the enemy, you give him access, he wreaks havoc. He destroys everything. Right? He trashes everything. He's like that bad renter that rents that home, and then when he leaves, he trashes everything. Takes the appliances and everything, right? You know, I mean, just those bad, those bad seeds, those bad, those bad things to where the enemy comes in and says, well, I've got, I want to come in and hang out, but I've got seven more people I want to bring with me. 
But I know, know what scripture I'm talking about. That he leaves, but he'll come back and try to tempt you with those same exact things and form stronger strongholds and bring more with him to infiltrate your mind and your home and your life. But I believe as the bride of Christ that we don't have to give any room to this stuff. Jesus is not coming back because the spirit of Jezebel is raging so strongly. He's coming back because the bride is so pure and spotless and holy and unblemished in the sight of Almighty God. He's coming back for a spotless bride. Does he might want to be in that number? Amen. Hallelujah. So you got to understand the bride concept. Now, having said that, the bride concept does not mean that we are a feminized people. Does not strip the men of its masculinity. Amen. That's not what I'm talking about. It's an allegory, in other words, to say, you know what? Just as Christ loved him, loved the bride enough that he gave everything for the bride, in our love response, we submit to him. That's the bride concept, right? But as the bride, we have the authority to know what to put on and what to put off. He's not coming back for babies. He's coming back for a bride. Babies have to be changed. A bride knows what to put on. Come on. In other words, you have the authority to change yourself. He said in 2 Corinthians, I believe 7 and 1, he said to cleanse yourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. There comes a time you quit waiting for pastor to bathe you. Come on. To change you. To clean yourself up. <laughs> Amen. There comes a time that you grow up and you mature enough that you're able to change yourself. You know what repentance is? All repentance is is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. It starts with your mind. So as the bride of Christ, you change your mind and you fall in love with Jesus. Because it's all about him. Right, guys? Amen. It's all about him. So before we get that, now some of this may be review of things I've taught in the past to some of you guys. But I want to break down a Jewish wedding and get into what you put on and put off after that. Because if you study on Jewish weddings, they're a lot different. Let me say it like this. The Jewish concept of marriage is a lot different than the American version. See, the American version is like dating. (laughs) When we're tired, we break up. We file divorce. That's the American version. I fall in lust with someone. I don't fall in love with someone. That, that's the American version. Do I have a witness in here? They got two or three. That, it is the truth, man. That's the American version. But 2 Corinthians 11, 2, the Bible says, The Apostle Paul said, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. See, that can be confusing to people to say God is a jealous God. But it's in the sense of love, right? I want all of your attention. I want all of you. I don't want you to be given to any other lovers because if you do, you don't look like a bride. You look like a prostitute. Amen. He said, I espouse you with godly, or he said, I'm jealous over you with the godly jealousy. I've espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The word espouse literally means to join or fit together as a carpenter fastening beams and planks to build houses and ships and etc. So in other words, he was one to espouse the church in such a way that it was built jointly and firmly as the bride. And he wanted to set the church up in such a way. And I believe that God wants the church to be just like Paul was doing in that day and age, a spouse. you got to understand, engagement was totally different in the Jewish day than it is today, right? 
And you see, when we get engaged today, we don't think of that as being legally married. If you were a spouse to someone, they classified you kind of technically as being married. That's why Joseph, if he was to divorce Mary, the mother of Jesus, that he would have actually had to file an orthodox divorce because he was betrothed to her. But they weren't officially living together and married, but now she's pregnant. But what was in her was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Right? And so, anyway, in the Jewish culture, you have two parts to a Jewish wedding. The first is the betrothal stage. And um, let me break some things down on this to, uh, to help explain to you. There's a process in which a Jewish man was to marry a woman. First off, it was a selection. It was a choice. Jesus said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. The man would always choose the bride. Right? It was by choice and by selection. Aren't you glad you are chosen of God? Many are called, but few are chosen. Aren't you glad you're chosen of God? Right? Chosen by Him. And the next thing, and it could be just meeting in a marketplace, meeting in the street corner somewhere. But there's something to Him that says, that man, I want to be in love with this woman. And they start talking and communicating. All of a sudden, okay, you want to be my wife? That was Jewish culture. It wasn't like today where you go on 2,000 dates. Right? Right? I mean, you either want to marry me or you don't. Right, So then they had an arrangement. And what would happen would be the father of the man would meet with the woman and they would sit down and have a meeting. Right? So they would arrange a meeting and he would have what was called, uh, uh, the, and this would be part three as well, the groom's promise and conditions. It would be written in what was called the ketubah. And what that was, was they would sit down and they meet together and they would say, okay, this is his responsibility and this is your responsibility. You do your part. He'll do his part. This is the, it was a contract. It was an agreement. The only way that that could be broken is through adultery. That was the only grounds for divorce, right? You do your part. He'll do his part. And if she agrees to it, they sign it and the contract is sealed, right? And she would give what was the fourth part, which would be her consent. She would say, I agree to these terms. In other words, Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, he said you will be saved, right? So with a consent, right? So let's break this down. So God has chosen us as his people to be his bride. He has chosen us to be his bride. He has the ketubah, which is the word of God that says, if you do this part, I'll do my part. You've got an old covenant that was the ketubah for the children of Israel. But you've got a new covenant, which is for us as God's people, that says, I will be covenant to you. I will do my part if you will do your part. You put off this stuff and you put on this stuff. You will be my bride and I will be faithful to you. Just as you are faithful to me. Right? This is the bridal concept. This is the bridal, uh, the marital agreement. And so she would give her consent. The next thing they would do to seal everything was to be drink from a cup. They would drink from the same cup, just as they did on the Lord's Supper. Take this cup. This is the blood of my New Testament, which is shed for you. This do in remembrance of me, right? So what he was saying was just with the bridal concept, it is this. It is that we are drinking in communion of the same cup that represents his blood because any covenant sealed by blood. Amen. So it's communion, relationship, communion. Next thing that would happen was the bride would receive gifts. She would receive gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because there may be moments where you think, does God really love me? Has Jesus forgotten about me? But all of a sudden, these gifts of healing, working in miracles... 
tongues, interpretation of tongues, faith, word of wisdom and knowledge. The gifts begin to get in operation at church and they serve as reminders. Hey, he still really loves me. He sent a comforter there, which is the Holy Spirit, to be with me. So in other words, I know that I'm part of his bride because we've received the gifts in operation in the church. You guys with me? Hallelujah. The next thing that would happen would be the washing of the mikvah, which would be an actual pool where the, where the bridesmaids would wash the bride in this pool because the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it and wash with the washing of the word. Wash with the washing of the word. So in other words, part of this marital concept is being washed with the washing of the word. It's not speaking negative. It's not complaining. It's not backbiting. It's not gossiping. It's not murmuring. But it's speaking and declaring the word of God over the bride. Amen. Hallelujah. So speaking the word of God prepares for this 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 marriage process. And then the next thing that she would do, the last part of the betrothal stage, then she would put on a veil. Because any any Jewish woman that wore a veil was was uh, signified that she belonged to somebody else. Only thing that you could see was her eyes. Otherwise, she belonged to somebody else. Don't look at her. She belongs to someone else. Amen. I believe it was a representation when Moses came off came off the mountain and he was covered in such glory he had to put on a veil. Said, "I belong to somebody else." You know what the church wants to do? Wants to put on a mask. Not a veil. Uh, Hallelujah. I said the church wants to put on a mask. Try to be something that they're really not. Try to use the revival lingo, but they have no revival spirit in them. They never pray. They never seek the face of God. They come in here, lift up their hands, dance and worship. But once they leave the church, they live like the world. They They curse. They lie. They steal. They cheat. Look nothing like the bride. That's a prostitute. That's a, you got to unmask that Jezebel spirit, man. Yeah. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? Yeah. Don't be faking. Don't try to fake till you make it. It don't work. <laughs> Pastor Brandon, it don't work, man. Don't fake till you Don't try to fake it till you make it. All right. The second stage was the consummation stage. You know what would happen? The father would have, the father of the groom would have a room designated for the bride. And she would stay there for a year to two years. Right? That's where she would live. She would not see the one she would be married until wedding day came. You're talking about giving no room for premarital sex. Come on. Did you understand no sex outside of marriage is wrong? There's a word for that in the Bible. It's called fornication. Amen. Man, we don't talk about that anymore. Amen. But it's wrong because it's outside of the way God designed it. Because if you have sex outside of marriage, it's saying that, you're, that you just want a feel-good moment when the Bible says, put off this stuff to, that makes provision of the flesh. Right? It's not about love and covenant. You want the benefits without the sacrifice. Come on. It's outside of the will of the Lord. Right? So if you're living with someone you're not married to them, you need to either pray and be like, okay, we either need to get married or this ain't going to work. Do I have any witnesses, any believers in the house that still believe the word is true? That still believe in holiness and purity in the sight of God? Amen. If you've lost your virginity, young people, get it restored in the presence of God. Let God forgive you and grace you. Amen. Is that all right? Is that okay? Can I talk like that? Amen. 
Hallelujah. Pastor Odie will be back next, next Sunday. So. He'll be feeling better and wired and ready to go. I'm ready to blow up. So, so you'll be ready. All right. The consummation stage. So she would go to this room and there she would live for one to two years. And all of a sudden there'd be an announcement made in the street. It said, behold, the bridegroom comes. Come on, you'll get it. Behold, the bridegroom comes. And all her bridesmaids would come ready with their lamps trimmed and burning. Amen. Because it may not, it could be any day, any night. We don't know. But somewhere in the next year or two, there's going to be a sound made, and I'm going to be ready to meet my groom. Amen. He, that's why he said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me and my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you many rooms for the bride. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. But if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I don't know when, but he's coming back, church. I still believe it. He's coming back. He's coming back for a spotless bride. So it sounds going to be made. Amen. And it's what the Jewish culture got to see this picture, man. Because she's waiting in her room, and all of a sudden he come, they come. These groomsmen come. They put, her, they put her on this basically almost like a chariot, but they carry her to the wedding site from the, from the, bride, from the bedchamber, carry her out. Because she, the groom and the groom's father has been building a house all this time. May take a year, may take two, but they're building a house for them to live in. And so they carry her to the wedding wedding place. And they are under the chupa, which is the glory of the Lord. The cloud, right? Under the chupa, under the glory of the Lord. And they sit there and they meet each other there. And they, and they consummate. And, they, and they, uh, in the consummation process, they agree to their marriage there. They go from that place and the wedding feast lasted seven days at least. Seven days. The bride and the groom typically did not work for the next year. For a year they were off work. They built their marriage for that next year. Some of you begin to think some of these concepts would be pretty nice to apply in our, in our American version. Right? And so I believe it's a picture of Jesus coming back for the church. Amen. Because typically they would be in there seven days consummating their marriage and then they would come back out and present themselves and this festival is going on for a week. That's why Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine because it lasted seven days and in seven days the, the wine ran out. Right? But anyway, so it was a big celebration. I believe there's a celebration in heaven coming, but we better prepare ourselves as the bride. Can anybody say amen? Now, to the text that we get here. We have some things where the scripture teaches us to put, to put on, put on these things. Holy and beloved elect of God. Do you understand that what the, the apostle Paul was telling the church of Coloss was when he said, put this on, this was what a bride would wear. Just like armor of God represented certain things, this represented certain pieces the bride would wear. The Jewish bride, not the American bride, but the Jewish bride, right? So I want to bring this to you and present this to you, what the bride looks like. You guys ready? Number one, he said, be clothed with bowels of mercy, or what is called a heart of compassion. This, This would be correlated with the bride's cloak or mantle, because it would cover her heart of compassion. 
A bride, a Jewish bride, would actually wear a cloak or a mantle. In other words, this would mean that we are to be clothed as the bride of Christ with a heart of compassion, bowels of mercies. We need the mantle of mercy in the church. Right? God is a merciful God. His word said in Philippians chapter 2, 2 1 through 2, that you will fulfill my joy if you, have, if you will walk in bowels of mercies. The Bible says in multiple places in Scripture that His mercy endures forever. Right? So we, it's, under, it's a, a big thing to know that we've got to put on mercy. Show mercy to people. See people through eyes of compassion. When Jesus, a lot of times before He healed people, the Bible says He was moved with compassion. Right? We've got to see people the way Jesus sees them. Right? Move with the heart of compassion. Number two is kindness. Kindness means a more excellence in character, demeanor, or integrity. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 6 through 7 says, And he raised us up together, made us be seated together in heavenly places in Christ, that in ages to come he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Part of the wedding garment that this would represent would be a mirror. Because a, uh, a female bride, a Jewish bride, would actually have a mirror that she would keep with her as a bride at all times. To look at herself in. A small mirror. Right? Because kindness is about being the reflection of the love of Jesus. As the bride of Christ, it's about showing acts of kindness. We need to be kind-hearted in the church. What if you buy someone else's meal? What if someone fell in a ball game and you picked them up as an opposing athlete? What if you did different things that shows kindness towards people? Right? Be kind one to another. Doesn't mean to be weak, but it's about reflecting the goodness of the earth, goodness of the Lord on the earth to other people because it's His goodness that leads people to repentance. Right? Amen. If, if I was to put it like this, and two, these, what I'm reading you guys does relate to the armor of God too. There are different parts of this there, and I won't get into that, but they could be seen as the armor of God as well, like the breastplate of righteousness, bowels of mercy, covering the heart, have a heart of mercy, righteousness protects the heart. So we can get into that stuff, but I'm not going to go on that route, but I just want you to understand and know as the bride what you need to put on. Lay the armor down and be clothed as the bride so everybody recognizes and know who you belong to. Yeah. Right? Number three, humbleness of mind. It means to be of a lowly mindset and to be modest. Humility is not low self-esteem. It's not beating yourself up. That's not humility. When humility looks at yourself in the mirror and says, I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm this, I'm that, right? That's the stuff. That's, that's not humility, right? That's the enemy rehearsing his words and his whispers. Amen. Humility is about making yourself low. In other words, it's like John the Baptist said. He must increase, I must decrease. It's that simple. He must get the glory and I understand and know there's a higher power that I submit to and I reflect his nature in the earth. That's humility. He said in his word that, that he gives more grace because God resists the proud. He, he resists, he withstands, he fights against the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. He said, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Humility, humbleness of the mind. On the bridal garment, it would be the bride's veil because your humility signifies that you belong to Jesus. That it's not about seeing my face because when you see this veil, this veil it shows that I belong to Jesus and it's his face I seek for. 
Right? Not pride. Pride reflects Lucifer. Falling down as lightning from heaven. Nobody will come. A lot of people don't pray and, and don't tell other people and confess and say, well, I'm a little bit arrogant. Right? I have a gossiping problem. You know, people that come to the altar, a lot of times they, they can admit if they've got depression and fear and anxiety, but nobody wants to admit when they're arrogant and prideful. <laughs> hey, my tongue, it, it, it's about as long as this church, man. I don't even know if it can fit on the altar. <laughs> right? Nobody comes, comes and says that to Pastor Odie, right? So, but it takes a heart search to say, God, let me be humble in your presence. Let me be clothed, fastened together with humility, that I may be covered in your grace as your bride. That's humility, man. Getting as low as you can to exalt the name of Jesus. Number four, meekness. Meekness just means to be of a gentle spirit. When you're of a gentle spirit, you're not striving. You're not fighting. You're not quarrelsome. You're not trying to cause trouble. What, you know what annoys me more is the religious police in the church, the church police. If you're a church policeman, you need to repent right now because you are not guarded for that. That's not in the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's no church police, no Pharisees, okay? What do you mean by that? Well, did you see so-and-so? Did you look at so-and-so? Did you hear what so-and-so did? They're sleeping around with that person. They're dressed like that. They posted that on Instagram and social media and stuff. Listen, yeah, they may be wrong, but God didn't call you to be church police. If you really were concerned about them, you'd pray for them. Wanda, I'm going to tell you the truth. It annoys me when I have 20 people come to me in a week with someone else in the church. I'm sick of it. I'm really sick of it. I really am. Yeah, we know people's got problems. Work out your own salvation. Once you love people in the kingdom. Come on. Oh, I just got, it just got real up in here right now. Oh, it just got uneasy. Because some of you, you know you've come to us with everybody else that's done wrong. Like, well, what about your house? Your individual self, your own life with God. How close are you with God? Because if you're really close with God, you won't be pointing the fingers and saying, they did this to me, and they did that to me, and they looked at me, and they said this, and they done this, and they done that. No, you'll look at yourself and say, man, where do I need to surrender? Where do I need to surrender at? I won't get the call on text that says, okay, this one and you're used to it. Listen, young people, I know everything about you, okay? I just tell you right now. I know, I know everything you've done, everything you've been. I may not come to you all, but I know everything, okay? Because if the Lord don't reveal it to me, some parent will. So I know, right? You can't hide it from me. This is too real for you all, ain't it? This is, this is Pastor Jay on Sunday morning. When Odie's sick, Odie's coming back Sunday. I'm telling you, he's coming back. He's on his way. He's on his way. I'd rather someone just, just call, call, why won't you just call that person and text and say, man, I just want you to know I love you. I'm praying for you. Right? Won't you do that? That's, that looks like the bride, not like a prostitute that wants to attack within the church. The, the bride is not cutting herself waiting for the bridegroom to come. 
The bride's not looking at herself in the mirror and saying, I'm ugly and full of garbage and full of sin. No, she's pure in the sight of God and says, I'm ready for him to come. I'm ready. I'm not cutting myself. I'm not hurting myself. I'm not demeaning myself. I'm not destroying myself. In the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, having said that, if you've got sin in your life, you do need to repent. You do need to search yourself and say, God, search me. You need to grow sick and tired of sin. I don't want you to miss the coming of the Lord because you're having premarital sex and looking at pornography. I don't want you to miss the coming of the Lord because of this junk. I don't. And I'll keep teaching and preaching and all that good stuff. But listen, you got to get your heart right. It's about getting your heart right. Maybe if I'm condemning somebody else, maybe it's just me needing to look at myself and say, man, maybe I need to quit bringing everybody else down to try to build myself up. If I would humble myself and let the goodness of God sweep over me, I won't compare myself with other people. Well, my marriage is better than their marriage. My ministry is better than their ministry. And my family is better than their family. What did he say in the word? There's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek and the Scythian. That's not an economic status difference. It's not a, there's not anything like that, a racial difference. No one's better than anybody because they're black or white. Come on, are you hearing me this morning? One blood, one bride in the sight of Almighty God. Come on. Am I in agreement with that? I have a two or three in the room. Amen. Hallelujah. Can I finish? Woo. That's bad, wasn't it? Okay. <laughs> just tell you how I feel meekness you know what it represents it represents the bride's jewelry First Peter 3 says that for women to be ornamented with a meek spirit right that's the word jewelry completely covered from head to toe with jewelry right jewelry because your wealth is in your meekness and your humility and meekness surrendering yourself to God meekness Meekness, a gentle spirit, not striving, but walking. The Bible says, if a brethren be overtaken in a fall, which you are spiritual, restore. Someone say restore. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. What does that mean? What does that mean, right? Considering yourself. You need to look at yourself and say, man, what am I doing wrong? Take inventory. When Wanda said up here the other day that I've got pride in my heart, I'm thinking, Where? <laughs> right but god god deals with you right if you'll let him if you'll give him access god will considering yourself uh, why should i condemn someone else for their screw-ups if i've got sin in my life that i need god to deliver me from or that i need to put off right that i need to lay down that i can we just come together and just go after the presence of god and restore what if we would have a restoration ministry where we restore people instead of kicking everybody down as soon as they mess up in leadership right okay well we're going to take these next few weeks or months and we're going to restore you back to health and you'll be stronger than ever right or someone in the church whoever it is we're not going to kick them out of the church because they're dealing with sin in their life no matter what they're struggling with we restore If you're ready for restoration, God will restore you. But if you want to cut yourself off from everybody, be angry with everyone and be to yourself, you're never going to get anywhere. But your heart's got to be open for restoration and being restored in the presence of God. Am I talking to anyone in this room? Amen. Some of this stuff I didn't even plan on saying, but, you know, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. The only way you can restore someone is through meekness. Considering yourself, man, it'd be horrible. Be horrible. 
to go through that. It'd be horrible to be having words spoken like divorce in my home. It'd be horrible for my children to leave me and, and, and hate my guts, right? Maybe I need to restore. Maybe I need to consider myself. Maybe, maybe them going through their financial issues, maybe I need to consider what they're going through and what their struggle is. Amen? And not be so backwards and say, you know what? They get what they deserve. They're like that because this happened and they shouldn't have done this. Listen, you can't change your past, but you sure change your future. You can, God can wipe away your past and cover it in the blood, but your future rests in your authority. You can change your future. Number five, patience. I love what the, trans, the passion said, unoffendable in your patience toward others. Unoffendable in your patience toward others. King James again says, long suffering. Now, I'm gonna lie, I ain't going to lie to you. Patience is just that one thing I struggle with. It really is. I'm not a very patient. Anybody struggle with patience? You, you, you eat fast food. You like it then and you like it there ready to roll. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking to somebody. What would happen in the church if we refuse to be offended at anyone for any reason? We become unoffendable. Tell me I'm ugly. I don't care. Greg will. Tell me I'm ugly. Tell me you don't like my buckle clothes. I don't care. Tell me. I don't care. I'm unoffendable. It's funny, but what would happen if we just become unoffendable? We don't, take, we don't twist everybody else's words and take it the wrong way and take it to heart with what everybody else says and does, right? You know, what if you looked at me and just said, well, your message was pretty terrible. Well, that's great. Praise God, I'm unoffendable. Right? I'm unoffendable. You can't mess with me, right? Unoffendable, patience towards others. This would be equivalent to the belt of truth that was on the armor of God. Because just as truth held the sword and the shield on the belt and held everything together, patience is like the bridal, the brides of, of Jesus' day that they would wear those belts, right? They held everything together. Patience will hold everything together. Let me break it down for you. And here's why. This is Scripture. I'm putting some verses together. But this is what Scripture teaches. It says, The trying of your faith builds patience. But when patience completes its perfect work, you experience the presence and mercy of the Lord. You want nothing else but Him. You transition into godliness. You look upon and follow the example of Jesus, and you do His will while receiving the hope of your inheritance. All those verses, there's like six verses or so combined there. But that's what Scripture teaches, the reward of patience. So patience holds everything together, right? If you're impatient, you're, you're not representing the bride, right? You've got to have patience and long-suffering, right? Not be unoffendable, not quarrel or not try to rush things out of God's timing, but just move at His timing, His ways. Don't look at the clock and say, man... It's 11, 11.38. I wish Pastor Justin would hurry up, right? Let's wait on the Lord, yeah. right? You know what I liked about, we went to the coffee shop Friday night. For you guys that went to the coffee shop with us, thank you guys. Y'all are awesome. We had an awesome time ministering down there. The presence of the Lord was thick. Like, it was like strong in that coffee shop, like for real. But it was just an intimate time where we could just sit in His presence and just wait on the Lord. Sometimes we just rush stuff. You know, part of devotion to the Lord is just waiting and letting God speak to us. Minister, how can God speak to you when you're the one doing all the warring and talking all the time? 
God heal this, God do this, God. Why don't you just sit back and say, God, I worship you. Just let me just, just speak your word over my heart today and over my family and life. Amen. Patience. Number six, forbearance means to hold up, sustain, bear, and endure. I liked what the tr- passion said. It said, tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. How many know anybody got weaknesses? Everybody got weaknesses? Anybody got weaknesses? Nobody? Maybe I've got weaknesses. I got all kinds of weaknesses. Weaknesses. He said, but, he said, Galatians 6, 2, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You can't bear one another's burdens when you're casting everybody else down. Right? Galatians 6, 5 says, don't forget to bear your own burden. How can you bear other people's burdens if you refuse to carry your own burden and throw it on someone else? Right? How can you throw your burden on pastor so-and-so or elder or deacon so-and-so, throw it on their shoulders when you're not praying yourself? Right? We can't change anybody. We can't. I wish I could. But we can't. It's up to us as individuals to work out our own salvation. Forbearance. Forbearance. On the bride, it would be equivalent to the fragrance that she wore. Because your prayer is as incense before the Lord. So your perfume as the bride is carrying each other's burns. In other words, lifting them up to the Lord, praying for them, covering them, lifting them up in prayer. I mean, no, we need to lift each other up in prayer. Like we need to really, really, really lift each other up in prayer. Amen. Number seven, forgiveness. The Bible says if you find fault with someone, release the same gift of forgiveness to them. We must be willing to forgive as Jesus Christ has forgiven us. Must be willing to forgive. Release other people. This is even part of the Lord's prayer. Jesus, Peter asked, uh, asked Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Because he is on about number 20, and I'm about to like cut his head off, right? Because that's the apostle Peter. He said, no. He said, forgive him 70 times seven. What is he saying? Uh, innumerable. Forgive them. I don't know about you, but I, I doubt between all of us we've not sinned against each other 490 times. I sure hope not. But we need to be able to forgive each other. Forgive. Forgive one another. And uh, I believe it's very important that we've got to forgive others just as Jesus has forgiven us. It's important that we don't die and we don't go into eternity with bitterness in our heart. Right? The Bible says in Hebrews that the grace of God is removed because of the root of bitterness. It fails. Grace fails. Grace does not work if you're bitter with somebody else unforgiving, right? And if you don't have God's grace, how do you think you're going to make it to heaven? Come on, somebody. Anybody with me? You still with me? I'm almost done. Give me about 10 minutes or something. I'll wrap this thing up. I mean, bitterness. That's why when John the Baptist was like, you know, when he baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, he's, he's like, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. You get later on in Scripture, he's in prison. And he said, sent two of his disciples, go ask Jesus if he's the one or do we look for another? The, the problem changed his perspective rather than the perspective changes problem, right? And so, but what did Jesus say? Blessed are those who are not offended in me. He didn't want John the Baptist to die with bitterness towards him in his heart. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You got to be willing to release forgiveness and not be so angry and bitter with people, right? Everybody makes a mistake. Anybody make a mistake? In this room, all of us have, right? We've all messed up, right? Lay this stuff, lay this stuff down. We need to release people and forgive people. Amen. Forgiveness. 
release people just as Jesus has forgiven us because we can't afford bitterness in our heart. Amen. We've got to be willing to forgive people. Hallelujah. Guys with me? Amen. Love. Love is a true mark of maturity, and every other virtue flows from this place. Agape love is spiritual, for the word says God is love. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. Love is not something you learn. It's something that is just engrafted in you through examples. Right? You learn to love your parents because they show you love. You learn to love your brother because they've shown you love. True love, right? Love is spiritual. It's not something that's forced. It's spiritual. And the Bible says it is the bond of perfection. That means ligament. Just as ligaments hold the body together, love holds the, the bride together, right? Completeness, one in his sight. If it was to be on the bridal garment, it would be the bride's gown because uh, the bride must be completely covered in a gown called love. We've got to be covered in love, don't we? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So we need to love each other in the kingdom. But if we cover ourselves with bowels of mercy, love, forgiveness, and all these different things, then we reflect the true nature of the Lord. And he's going to come back and say, behold, and they're going to hear that sound, that trumpet sound, behold, the bridegroom comes, and will we be ready? Will we be ready? Because the fact of the matter is, is that if we have lust, condemnation, hatefulness, pride, disobedience, impatience, agitation, bitterness. Those are the things contrary to what I just read. You don't reflect the bride. You reflect the prostitute. That's what you, you see that you have other lovers and you don't really love the presence of Jesus. So it's time for us to search ourselves. And of course, when you read in Ephesians, Colossians, both, um, you read when you read about what to put on immediately after you'll read about where he says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church wives submit to your husbands children obey your parents so we know God designed the family and we know this bridal concept comes from him but it's up to us to search us to say God are we ready if that sound came today and it may come totally different than what we expect I, I, I'm not going to preach pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib whatever you know we just better be ready right we just better be ready but main thing is when it sounds and it's time, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you have hatred in your heart? Do you have bitterness in your heart? Right? And you can read all through Scripture. You can read in the book of Revelation when you talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know when it came? It came when Babylon, the, the Bible calls that one religious system, the great whore of Babylon, destroyed. That's when you read about the praises of hallelujah to God and the marriage supper of the Lamb taking place. Anytime you read in Scripture, these spirits in operation, when they're rebuked, when they're killed, they're destroyed. God's voice is lifted high. Right? You always read it. You always see it repeatedly in the Old and the New Testament. But I believe there, that, the bride is, that the, bride, the marriage supper is coming in heaven. And the, the new city, New Jerusalem, is coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for a husband, the scripture says. And God, Jesus, is going to dwell with his people. He shall be our God and we shall be his people. And he will wipe away every tear from our, from our eyes. In other words, heaven will come to earth and it's a glorious place. But you know what? I don't have to wait to die to go to heaven. I can have heaven come to earth now. Amen. I can surrender to God now. As they were singing earlier, absolutely surrender to the Lord right now. Scripture says in Revelation 22, 17, it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that hears say, Come, and let him that a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. That is the commission that we read at the end of this book, the Bible, the Ketubah. The end is instructing us to come and drink. 
Do you want to come and taste and see that the Lord is good? Are you ready to say, you know what? I'm tired of looking like the world spiritually. I need to look like the bride. Would you stand all across this? I want to ask the worship team if they would to come and give you guys a chance to pray. You know, we can give an altar call for a lot of things this morning. A whole lot of things. And I hope something was said that spoke, that spoke to your heart, that spoke to your life. But the main thing is is that if there's something that I talked about that you need to put on that you've not put on. Listen, you got to put something off to put something on. You need to put off anger, wrath, malice, lying, cursing. There's no condemnation in Christ, condemning others. You need to put that stuff off and put on what I just read about bowels and mercy and patience and forgiveness and love. Because that, guys, that looks like the bride. That looks like the bride. Something I forgot to mention about forgiveness. The part of the garment that represented forgiveness was the fine linen the bride wore. Because the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. You can't be righteous without the forgiveness of God. It's his forgiveness that covers you. Bowels of mercy. Some of you are in this place today and God's speaking to you. And man, I could, man, this, I guess really could do an altar call going in a lot of different directions. But, but it's time for you to search your heart. And ask God if there be anything. Now, I'm not talking about apologizing. I'm not talking about praying and saying, God, I'm sorry for what I did and what I said. And leaving the same way that you came. And then, and then even later this evening or tomorrow, you're talking bad about somebody else. Whether they're at work or church or family or whatever. You know, it's not church versus church, guys. We're one body. We're the bride. Maybe you... Or dealing with impatience in your life. Maybe you're, maybe you're not carrying others' burdens. Maybe you're bringing other people down. Maybe, maybe you need to understand, know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that David could not build a temple because he warred so much? He fought, striving so much in his flesh, he could never build a temple. It took Solomon in the age of peace to build a temple where God could house his glory. Stop warring in your flesh against other people. Because the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't fighting against people. He said in his words, stop doing that stuff. Lay that down and come into my presence and surrender everything to me. This is where you find restoration. This is where you find healing is in confession. Confessing it to God. The consent of the bride that says, I'll be your bride and you can be my groom. Bride, anybody with me this morning? That consent that said, God, I confess. Maybe, maybe, just maybe there's some in this room you've been, you've dealt with a lust issue. You can't look at girls as just being a, a female. You look at them as a, as a tool, a prize, a thing. You're not a person. You got a lust problem in your heart. Maybe, you're, maybe girls, you're having sex with other guys because you want to feel loved by somebody when the only love you need is from the presence of the Lord. My, this Bible, you know, I can teach you love, but tough love works, guys. I said tough love works, it'll shoot you straight. His word says adulterers won't inherit the kingdom of God. If that sin's in your heart and it's not covered by the blood and something crazy happened, fanatical happened, and the last breath left your body, you would spend eternity away from the presence of God. Does that not set a fear in you? A reality? Check. 
because you're messing around trying to feel loved by somebody posting those pictures and things on the internet just so you can get the attention from the wrong guy and lay it down at the altar man church there's a gown waiting for you at this altar that you need to clothe yourself in church again I'm not feminizing the men I'm saying us as a body that you need to be clothed in the righteousness of God will you come and surrender yourself to the Lord if, you, if you're dealing with bitterness, you need to lay it at this altar, judging, condemning people. You need to lay it at this altar. Would you come? No condemnation in Christ. Surrender to the Lord. He's your, His presence is your inheritance today. Would you come this morning? I would love to get calls and text messages. Of not problems, but encouragement. Of what God is doing in your life and in the church. Change your perspective. Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Would you come? Forgiveness, forbearance, patience. If you need it, it's at this altar. If you would like to know more about Our Father's House and upcoming events, log on to ourfathershouseky.org.